than I have answered. I'm not even sure if I like someone who has all the answers. There was a peanut cartoons number of years ago where Lucy is asking Charlie Brown or making this statement, life is a mystery. Do you know the answer? Charlie quickly replied, be kind, smile a lot, eat right, avoid too much sun, love everyone, and keep the ball low. The last frame shows Lucy punching him in the nose. There are no easy answers to life. Every time I walk into the NICU unit at Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh, I'm overwhelmed with the pain that people are going through. Especially when I'm going to find one particular child and I have to walk by 12 or 15 other parents and grieving families who are going through deep waters and uncertainty as to whether or not they'll be able to bring that little one home. And then I go through the tragedy of dealing with families in the ups and downs of life and the premature death of a loved one or a spouse or a child or a family member that they're not ready for, the stages of cancer that some have to go through, situations around the world that sometimes seem so overwhelming, I don't know what to turn or what answers to give. Over the last number of weeks, we see all the senseless, I mean literally senseless killings of one person of another of police officers being gunned down at a gas station of the two people this particular week in virginia giving a story or sharing a story and gunned down the middle of that and then i looked at the questions and the statements in this and i thought this could have been written today why did these things happen is god aware of that how do i respond to that what statements do i give what answers do i have I look at this Old Testament character as we continue the story this morning, and I I watch him in this journey. If you read it, and we're not going to go through all of it this morning, but if you go from the first to the last chapter, you see him, this Old Testament prophet, starting out with some of the same questions I had this week and end up doing what we did at the beginning of the message in praise and adoration. How he moves from questions about God to confidence in God. How he moves from frustration with God to faith in God. Number of themes in the book, struggle and doubt, God's sovereignty in the midst of uncertainty, and the issue of hope. I'm going to walk you through six steps this morning. They are not sequential steps. In other words, if you follow this pattern, if you follow this routine, if you do these six things, you end up having all the answers to life. I'm not saying that at all. But there are six things that I notice in this section of Scripture in these three chapters That when I go through those stages of life where I have a lot more questions than answers, I want to remind myself of. The first one here in this context is honesty. It's in the first chapter, chapter 1, Old Testament book. Take the Bible, open it up to the middle, go near the end of the Old Testament. You're going to find a little obscure book, three chapters, a little bit of information, but a real powerful story. Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophecy received. This is the question that he has. How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? If you've never stated that out loud, I have to believe you've at least thought it. If not, you're way more pious than me. How long, O Lord, do I have to call for help and you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. The the law seems paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. 
Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those that are more righteous than themselves? Now, if I look at that section of Scripture and I talk to somebody who's a brand-new Christian, they have probably thought all of those things before they came to faith in Christ, but somewhere along the way, they felt like I couldn't express those emotions now that I know Jesus, now that I have faith in God. I certainly couldn't pray that way. I certainly can't talk to God that way. I can look around at the world and talk to the newscast that way. I can talk to the TV that way. I can read the paper and be angry and frustrated with what I see, but I can't imagine ever expressing to God how angry and frustrated I am. Now, maybe I'm talking to the choir, and you already have done that, and you do that on a regular basis, but sometimes we think we can't. I love these examples of David and Moses all the way through Scripture that have those kinds of statements and ask those kinds of questions and are that honest with God. And I'm reminded that God can handle our honesty. God can handle our emotions. God can handle our questions. These are pretty profound questions. Why do you do this? Why haven't you answered? Why do you tolerate this? I mean, you look around the wickedness in society and it's on all over the world, ISIS in the Middle East, you have to ask the same question. God, when is this going to stop? When is evil going to end? When will you come back and right this world and turn it right side up again? Ruth Graham, years and years ago, Billy Graham's wife said, if God doesn't do something about the injustice and the immorality and all the things that are going on in America, he's got to at some point apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah for what he did to them because now it's even worse. And when I read all the news articles and I watch TV and I see all these uncertain events and I see what I saw this week, I find myself asking the same questions. And then when I came across this a few weeks ago, I thought, perfect. Because this is exactly what I feel. This is exactly some of the statements I make when I look at the world around me. And I love the fact that God gives us a model of somebody who can honestly express their feelings and emotions to Almighty God. Now, the second piece, as he moves into the second chapter, comes under the context I have in your sermon notes of patience. That's one of my favorite things to do. Be patient. When I look at that first one, how long, O Lord, I find myself saying, I would like to know that. A week? A day? How long before we get an answer to this? When I pray for this person or this child or this circumstance or this situation, I would love for you to answer that part. How long? Just so I know. A week, a day, a month, a year? How long? In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what it will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Because i got to believe as a prophet of God, people are asking him as they do me. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The end of verse 3, it certainly will come and and will not delay. In the Living Bible says this, it will not be overdue one day. 
It will not be overdue one day. It's a marvelous verse on God's timing. God says, I have an appointed time when I'll reveal things to you. It hastens toward the goal. We think of God as slow, not hastening. We're in a hurry. God doesn't seem to be at times. One author said that four-fifths of our trouble in life would never appear if we just sit down and stop and be still. 2,000 years ago, God said the same thing through the prophet in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. You know what he's saying in that? Shh. Just sit down for a while. I know what I'm doing. I'm still God. I am God, just as a reminder. And I just want you to stop for a minute, sit down, and kind of relax, and not let the world and all the circumstances throw you off. Now, that may be easy to do for those who are laid back. It's not honestly easy to do for those who are driven or type A personalities. I don't have an easy time being patient. I'm not patient at stoplights, for heaven's sakes, let alone waiting for God to answer some of the questions that I have. If I get a traffic jam or in a traffic jam in Herman, Pennsylvania, I'm a little uptight. That's how bad it is. I live, and, and, and some of you know that, you know, you down 422, up Bonnie Brook, keep on going past. You go through Herman, some of the best ice cream you'll ever have. I don't care if you work for Dairy Cream, Case Corner, the best ice cream there is on the planet. I think they're only going to be open another week, and I don't get anything out of this. <laughs> Every once in a while, because I know people are going to 28 and down to 356 and Penn United and all that kind of a stuff, or coming back, I'm in a traffic jam, literally in Herman, Pennsylvania, a four deep, and I'm going, seriously, where are these people coming from? And I got to believe that every once in a while, God does it on purpose and then smiles. <laughs> Sitting down and keeping still is okay for the laid back. For, for some people, they have a hard time doing it. What I love about Isaiah is what he says in chapter 1. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. Notice he doesn't say, I will keep watch to see if he speaks to me. To do that. To listen carefully, and it's one of the other pieces we'll get into in a minute. Got to stop. I'll be uptight, not anxious about life or anxious about certainty. I'm still waiting to see him speak. I'm waiting for that. But because of that and the necessity of that, it requires patience. Also requires number three, and that is faith. See, the enemy has puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person shall live by his faithfulness. That classic phrase, the righteous shall live by faith. In Romans, Paul talks about a couple of kinds of faith. When I receive Christ as Savior, when I invite him into my life, I receive him by faith. When we celebrate what we do this morning in communion, we recognize the bread represents his body and the cup represents his blood shed on the cross. We tell you the story, you read about it in Scripture, but it wasn't there. You weren't there. Matter of fact, there's not even a picture of it anywhere in humanity. We'll draw it, and other artists have pictured it, but none of us were there, and none of us ever saw it. But by faith in the Son of God, in the Word of God, I know that he sent his Son to die on a cross, and when I receive him as my Savior, I receive him by faith, knowing that he paid the ultimate price for my sin, and that God accepted his penalty for my sin. And when God looks at me now, he looks at me through Christ and the penalty he paid. All of that is by faith. You don't earn your salvation. You certainly don't deserve it. I know I don't. I deserve death. 
But he offers me life. And I receive that by faith in Christ. There's also a faith that sustains or a faith that supports. A faith that gives me strength. A faith that is not circumstance-centered, but a faith that is God-centered. A faith that says, I don't have to see the end results. I don't have to see where it's going. I don't have to see the answers to know that I can trust God in the middle of my uncertainty. And for many of us here this morning, maybe only for me, sometimes that requires even more faith than the original, the faith that saves that I don't have to always see an answer. This prophet moves from being circumstance-centered to God-centered. Ruth Graham, years ago, I lay my wise before your cross in worship kneeling. My mind too numb for that, my heart beyond all feeling, and worshiping realize that I, in knowing you, don't need a why. Somewhere along the way in all of our questions of life and the uncertainties of life and all the tragedies of life and all the unanswerable questions of life, I've got to come to a conclusion as to whether or not I trust God, even when I don't understand. In every difficult circumstance, in every situation, I have to come to a decision, do I trust you or not? Even when I don't understand even when I don't like the answer, even when it doesn't make sense. Jim Dobson years ago wrote a book, When God Doesn't Make Sense, one of the best books I've I've read on that. He says page after page after page after page of stories and situations and circumstances, people dying, missionaries dying. The stories are endless, and I couldn't wait to get near the end of it. The book is this thick to find out, okay, what's his answer to this? And then he says, I know you're sitting here waiting for an answer to all of these things that don't make sense. And I'm going, you have no idea, brother. He said, all I can say is this, somewhere along the way, you have to separate your understanding of God and what he does or what he doesn't do from your trust in him. Because if your trust in him is dependent on answers, you're going to find it difficult. But if your trust in him is dependent on who he is and not what he does, you'll be able to trust him in what you don't understand. I thought that is really true. Because I've been in ministry long enough and in the world long enough to know that I don't have answers to a lot of the questions. But I do know in the middle of that uncertainty, I have to come to a conclusion. God, I trust you. I don't like it. I wish it were different. I don't know the answer to that. I want it to change. I'm pleading with you to answer. But I do trust you. Part of the process as well, obviously, is prayer. An honest expression of my heart to the living God. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them today. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. So often we think of prayer as something that we do before an offering or before a service or before a meal. And those are wonderful ways to express my heart to God. But prayer is so much more than prayer for an event or a circumstance or the meal. It's an honest expression of my heart to the living God. In these last few weeks, as we've looked at a lot of the people in the Old Testament, one of the things that have reoccurred is that necessity of expressing what I feel and expressing my emotions and spending time talking to the living God. And one of the statements we said that prayer can never be our last resort, but our first response. We're not going to take time to show it this morning, but there's a movie coming up called The War Room. 
and the same guys that did Courageous and Fireproof and all of that. Um, you know what, Jay, we do. Same guys that did Courageous and Fireproof and Facing the Giants, they, they separated our brand new uh, film company. And I, I don't know about you, I, I know I'm old, but I grew up in the days where when I watched Christian movies in the 70s and 80s, they were sometimes worse than Spaghetti Saturday Westerns. Do you ever notice that? Like, oh, seriously, that's what we're producing in the name of God. And they were kind of bland and didn't make sense and, and all of that. And these guys have just done a great job. They're brand new and it just came out this weekend called The War Room. Let me just show you the trailer for it. You've been a good enough father. I want to be a good enough father. Let's go, let's go! Don't quit! Don't quit! Hey, you know what? I thought your jump rope routine was really good. I just got a notification that you moved money from our savings into your checking account. Can we talk about this later? You must be the real estate agent. Well, it's so good to meet you. Let me show you the house. This is my favorite place in this house. I call it my war room. You wrote prayers for each area of your life. Prayer strategy. I sure could use some of that. Tony, you should go see your practice tomorrow. I'm out of town this week. When were you going to tell me? I just did. Tony, how's my favorite rep? I'm real good. How you doing? I wish I lived at your house. Whenever my parents are together, they just fight. Dude, I can't get a pass from you. It'd be easier to baptize a cat. I just need you to blow off a little steam, okay? There's one thing we do well. It's fight. You do not want World War III to break out in your home. No, no, I don't. Just because you argue a lot doesn't mean that you fight well. You got to plead with God so that he can do what only he can do. Then you got to get out of the way and let him do it. You need to do your fighting in prayer. Keep fighting the good seen anybody do what you did it's time for you to take off the gloves and fight for your marriage keep fighting the lord we need an army of believers lord call us to battle raise them up lord raise them up that lady could preach a sermon in our church any day it's a powerful tool that God has given us and an opportunity for us to express to the God of the universe what we feel and what we need in our emotions and our circumstances. It's not last resort. It's not just praying for a moment or blessing the food. It is interaction with the God of the universe. Now, when we do that, we need to do the, the next piece, which is listen. If we're really honest, most of us probably do spend more time talking to, to God than listening to God. Meditation, reflection, whatever you want to call it, it's where I listen. At the end of verse 3 and 9 and 13 in these verses, the word selah, it's used 71 times, S-E-L-A-H, used 71 times in the book of Psalms, three times here. The only places in Scripture, it means to stop and think clearly about what is said or what I've heard. That's why the musical interludes every once in a while in a song that we play on Sunday morning is an opportunity for me to just stop 
and reflect for a moment on what I just said or what I just heard or what was just sung. Number of ingredients, obviously, to do that well, we need to slow down. We need to remember and restore three words in there, but the, the one that always stands out is to remember. And we talked about that last Sunday morning a little bit. God, many times in the history of the Israelites, would walk them through a journey of saying, when they're in those moments of uncertainty, uh, did I not take care of that? Did I not bring you out of Egypt? Did I not take care of Moses? Did I not take care of Gideon? Did I not answer Joshua? If I did it for them, do you think that it's consistent with my character that I can do that for you? But every once in a while, I need to remember, and we are so classically easily able to forget. I said to you last Sunday, of all the things that Jesus could have said in this upper room experience, he said, every time you do this, I want you to remember. And I thought, how can I forget? And then I realized how many times I do. Remember me. When you're going through uncertainty, when you don't have the answer, when it looks dark outside, when you can't figure out where to go, remember me. The last piece is praise. The last piece is praise. And it's not always, if I go in this sequence, I'll figure it out. If I take these steps, if I follow this pattern, none of that. I'm just saying when I look at this section of Scripture, as I watch him go through it from, oh, God, how long? Before you ever answer, do you even hear me? To what he does at the end, though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on a vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food. Chapter 3, verse 17. Though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice and I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on noon heights. If you want to read a great book, Hind's Feet in High Places, comes from this book. Praise is not a result of my circumstances. It is a matter of choice. It's not a result of things going well or problem-free life so that now I can come on Sunday morning and I can express my adoration to the living God. It's not whether you like the songs or the music's too fast or the music's too slow or there are enough interims or if you don't even know the song. It has nothing to do with the music. It has everything to do with an opportunity to just express to the God of the universe corporately what I feel. It's not a result of things going well. It's not a result of having all the answers. It's just a recognition. When you look at him, he, nothing had gotten better. Look at what he says in verse 17. We have no figs, no grapes, no crops, no food, no pen, no sheep, no cattle. That's not going well. But I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. God has been God. You are God. And God will be God no matter what happens around us. He will still be God. And in the moment I understand that, the moment I understand that, I can then say what he says in verse 19. I'll climb to new heights. Even if my health fails and my job goes, the forces of evil seem to have their way. Even though the economy is shaky and I'm not appreciated and things go wrong every single day, God, I won't resent you. I still have questions that I know you're answering, but you in the middle of all of that are my rock and my shield. And my strength. It's an amazing journey in those few short chapters. From how long do I have to wait to even if it's forever, you, above all the uncertainties of life, are my rock. Thought it appropriate that we would end communion or end with communion this morning. 
We do it here at Community Alliance Church every month. A lot of churches at the beginning of the month, this whole fall, and for the last couple of for us, it's the end of the month. A lot of times it fits into the context of the message, and that's when I like to most allow us the opportunity to do that. This morning, you'll hold in your hands two symbols. If you've never been here before, they're all in one tray, the bread and then the cup. Wait for everyone to be served and help the person around you, and then hold it for a few moments. And while you're holding it, I want you to remember what she asked us to do. But maybe you're sitting here this morning with more questions and answers, and you'd like to just take those few moments of reflection while you're holding these elements and being reminded of what it is that he offers us to share your heart with him, to listen to his voice, and then maybe end with praise and adoration for what he did for you and I on the cross. I'm going to ask the gentlemen to come. They're going to serve you all over this campus and just wait for a few moments until everyone is served and hold it. Spend some time in reflection and quiet your heart before God. And then I'll come up and I'll lead us in partaking of it at the end.